meet me at the museum with Alan and Daniel. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. Everyone come gather round, listen to your favorite sound. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. We'll talk the games and all the rest about the team that we love best. We'll talk about the Cardinals all night long. And we welcome you to another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptaw, C70 at the bat at C70. On Twitter with me, as always, is Alan Medlock from Red Dirt Redbird and A Medlock One on Twitter. Joining us tonight is the new beat writer for the Cardinals for MLB.com, Zachary Silver. You'll find him on Twitter at Zach Silver. Zach, thanks for joining us tonight. Yeah, I'm, uh, it's, been, it's been a good few uh, first few weeks, month, I guess, now on the beat. So, uh, you know, been just been looking forward to opening day and getting out to St. Louis and really getting the full uh, Clydesdale experience, I guess. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, you're coming from it kind of fresh, I guess. Let's let's get into where you're coming from. What's your background on that? Um, and how did you get into journalism? Yeah, I'm originally from I'm, uh, the DC area, Maryland, proud Marylander. Um, I went to uh, school at Cornell and uh, actually didn't have a journalism program there, but we have a uh, great school paper. I actually started the school paper in high school. I was on it my senior year and I always wish I kind of did more of it. I, I didn't wait until senior year because I knew some kids on it and I wish mm-hmm. I got to to be a part of it sooner. Um, and, but so when, before I get to Cornell, I, I emailed the, the editor at the paper and say, Hey, I'm an incoming freshman. I'd really love to join the paper. And they were like, all right, you know, when you get to campus, we'll figure it out. They were like, you know, let's, let's pump the brakes a little bit on that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I was really excited to get on and, uh, started out doing news writing actually, um, covered some events around campus and protests. And then, uh, uh, covered my first football game it was a three zero win over Columbia. And, uh, <laughs> For some reason, I decided that was great, and I wanted to stick in sports journalism, even though I saw one field goal go in. Uh, always been, always been a big, big sports fan, but I kind of wanted to just do something different in news. But um, you know, I ended up sticking with sports. Covered the hockey team for a few years. Um, covered the wrestling team, um, football, obviously, and uh, you know, got got lucky with a few internships at MLB at during school and outside of school, and uh, uh, had some shuffling of reporters this off season with Annie moving to Kansas City, and that opened up St. Louis and. Yeah, just really looking forward to, to getting out to St. Louis finally. Is baseball, I mean, you've covered so many different things. Is baseball your the one thing you wanted to cover, or is it just kind of your kind of a, any sport works? Yeah, I've always been a huge baseball fan. I'm from D.C. Um, I covered the Nats in part during their run a few years ago, so that was really exciting to be a part of. Um, I've loved baseball just as, a, as an onlooker. I'd say D.C. is probably – I football city for the most part until the Washington football team has kind of sucked. Um, and I'd say the Nats have kind of replaced them over the past few years. The Caps obviously are also a great team. I'm, I'm originally a hockey guy. I played hockey growing up. Um, but I've, I've definitely definitely gotten more invested in baseball over the past few years the more I work in it. And, you know, for the most part, a few things I would change. Maybe three-hour games could, could get shortened a little bit. But otherwise... <laughs> Otherwise, it's it's a great uh, it's a great sport to cover. There's just so many stories, so many different ethnicities, so many different backgrounds, so many different uh, 
just things to, to write about and to, and to kind of get invested with. And I honestly just couldn't see myself covering a different sport at this point. So is, do you expect uh, opening day in, at Bush to uh, surpass the enthusiasm of East Coast college hockey? Uh, definitely <laughs> yeah. how familiar you guys are with the college hockey landscape, but uh, Lina Rink at, at Cornell is said to be one of the best uh, environments. Uh, you know, we have a tradition where every time we play Harvard, we throw fish on the ice uh, <laughs> to make fun of the Boston fishing industry. Although I know there is definitely things like that with the seat cushions at Bush. So, you know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll replace that in my heart, but, um, <laughs> but no, I mean, I've, I've you know, I, I have, I haven't been to Bush actually, so that'll be fun to get to see oh, it wow. uh, for the first time. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been to a few parks, but you know, Bush is definitely one that's kind of towards the top of my list of places I haven't gotten to go to that I'd love to get to. Um, but yeah, I mean, just as a general baseball fan, I'm very knowledgeable just of the Cardinals. You know, it's kind of like the Yankees and the Cardinals are two franchises, the Red Sox, just franchises that you know based on knowing baseball, just a Blue Brock and Bob Gibson and, and every, you know, the 2011 team and, and just every, every team that kind of, every success that they've had is just kind of baseball lore, not just St. Louis lore. As beat writer for MLB.com, uh, I mean, that's not a job that's been around forever um you're actually what the fourth person to, to hold that role so you've got the the people like matthew leach and jennifer langosh and of course ann rogers that was a, ahead of you um is it kind of interesting to know that you know you're kind of this early into a, a job that could be well when you look on the other side of things in the post dispatch and how long that history is um you're not there yet but you might be part of that it's an interesting landscape here for sure and and just a media market um i mean yeah like you said mlb.com i think as a, a core group of reporters has been around for about 20 years maybe mm -hmm. i know we have some reporters who are hitting the 20 years mark this season um and we've had you know just a great cast of of reporters who have come and gone through st louis i mean Je jennifer has moved into a management role at mlb and and matthew as well so they've they've had just great you know careers since covering the Cardinals and they've been around even different cities and Annie is doing great work in Kansas city. Um, so it, it's, it, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting landscape to come into. And that being said, it's also especially interesting where I'm not even the only new B reporter right now with Katie Wu from the athletic okay. just starting. Yeah. Um, so you, you kind of have this interesting dynamic with, um, you know, Derek and Kamish and, and, and Ben Fred and Ben Hoffman, the guys who have been around for years and Jeff Jones as well. And then, um, you know, myself and Katie kind of coming in at an interesting time and, you know, guys like Brendan Schaefer and, and guys from KMOX and different places around the, around the bend. Um, so it's a great market. It's a big market. You know, it, it, if you were to rank just media markets on a, on a raw scale, like St. Louis is not where New York and LA is, but as far as baseball, I mean, it's probably among our readership, one of the highest um, markets we have, one of the highest team sites we have. So. Um, it's, it's just a really fascinating landscape and I'm, I'm interested to kind of get to see it more in person because it's been an it's been interesting doing it over zoom so far. Have you, I mean, you talked about all, you know, Ben Fred and, and Derek and all those, have you had a chance to, to start making some connections with them? Obviously you haven't made it into St. Louis yet to, to meet them in person, but you know, via zoom or Twitter to, to get to know them. So that's been really, really nice to have. Um, I mean, when I got. When I got the job, I got so many DMs more than I could respond to or count or emails or, you know, text messages just through other people. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet a handful of people down at Jupiter. 
Um, so I got to meet Jeff and Derek and Kamish and, and a group of other people in it. And actually funny enough, I, uh, my old, my old role before moving to this one, I was kind of a floater reporter for, for the company. And, uh, the last assignment I was before the pandemic was covering the cards in Fort Myers, uh, filling in for Annie at a, at a Red Sox spring mm. training game. Um, that was, that was the day that kind of everything started shutting down. It was the first day that we had to stand six feet away from Schilt when we were doing interviews. No one was wearing masks. I wasn't even like on the radar. Um, you know, we talked to Paul DeYoung and Schilt kind of outside the, the clubhouse in the locker room because the interview rooms were closed off. So, um, it was definitely, it's been an interesting and kind of maybe a poetic, you know, full circle to come back to St. Louis and have this now be my full-time job. And I'm sure that you're looking forward to, you know, non-pandemic coverage. Um, but right now, is it a little bit, I don't know, easier for you? You know, like you, you were telling us before the show, you're still out in, in Maryland. Um, so you're not in Cincinnati, but you're still able to do pretty good coverage just because of Zoom and things of that nature. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it definitely, it makes some things easier. And, and, you know, like a lot of things, not even in baseball, but, you know, you wonder how much the pandemic is kind of like accelerating changes in workplace and in different things. I definitely, you know, if, it, if there was no pandemic, I would probably be in St. Louis right now, or I would be in Cincinnati right now. Like that wouldn't really be a question. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of this is just kind of stunted by just the, the, the risks, I guess. But, you know, thankfully we're kind of getting back to normal. It seems like slowly, but surely. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're right. In some ways it does make things easier. It makes, you know, having doing a one-on-one phone call is a little bit more, easier to manage just because that's more what people are used to. Um, you know, just do like even talking to a boss or a coworker is a lot easier just because getting on a zoom call is much less foreign than it was like a year and a half ago. Um, but in a lot of ways you do lose, you lose a lot of access in the sense of you can't just go up to so-and-so in the clubhouse just to get a quick quote or just to shoot the breeze and build a relationship with them. I mean, you know, it, it, it makes things easy in some ways I'd say it made it easier joining the beat where I kind of knew, every day I was going to get at least one person and, you know, being a new person can kind of be tough just to go up to, you know, Paul Goldschmidt in the clubhouse and introduce yourself. So at least there's in some ways it's easier just to have that group setting. Um, but you know, there's a lot of stuff where it's just so easy to grab a guy for five minutes in the clubhouse and setting up a zoom with them while in some ways easier, is just a little, a lot more to kind of plan out. So to say, whereas you could just grab a guy who's putting, lacing up his cleats for 10 seconds and that's all you need for the day. So, you know, it is, it's a, it's a very interesting dynamic. Like you said, that you're not the low person on the totem pole. How much grief are you going to give Katie about your seniority on the, on the beat? Uh, <laughs> um, that is that, yeah, we'll have to see how that plays out, I guess. Um, <laughs> I'd still say maybe we're going through it together more than uh, me having the leg up on her. I mean, she's in Cincinnati, which I wasn't able to do. So she can kind of hang that over my head for a little bit. Um, but uh, no, I'm sure it'll all be done in good fun. We actually were, um, funny enough, we were uh, in the same intern program a few years ago uh, through MLB. They had, a, they had an associate program that is no longer around, but um, it was a program where they put 30 reporters, 30 interns in 30 cities. And I believe she was in, San Diego and I was in Baltimore. So uh, we're, we're familiar with each other a little bit. So I'm sure it'll be more, uh, you know, helping each other out than, uh, than, uh, you know, ribbing each other, but there'll probably be plenty of that as well. Um, so you said you got a chance to go down to spring training. Um, what stood out to you as we 
talk about that before we transition into the real stuff. Any anything that that really kind of caught your eye during spring training? The team kind of finally be able to put some of their off-season mojo to action. I mean, it's funny to call it off-season mojo because there was so much uncertainty and kind of ambivalence about the team in the off-season. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, there was not even a major league move until Adam Wainwright was re-signed in the end of January. I believe they were the last team in the, in the, in the majors to make a major league signing. Um, so you kind of go from this whirlwind of the Cardinals have done nothing to address what was a pretty lackluster 2020 and now you have Adam back, you have Yachty back, and, and even in between them, you have Nolan Arenado required. So it was just this crazy, crazy time period that goes from this club did nothing this offseason to, okay, they're winning the World Series, which, you know, we'll, well, that's still much to be determined, but that's just at least the, the right, sense right. I got from of the excitement level that came after Nolan was acquired. So, yeah, getting down there, was just it was hard to see so up close and intimate just because of the restrictions that are in place these days, but... It was still just really interesting to see the, the, the team kind of wait, wait, wait all off season for, you know, kind of crumbs. And then now you, you can kind of get going. And, you know, Schultz said yesterday, the barn, do- the barn doors were let open and they stormed out. They definitely did that. Um, what was your, you know, general impression then of yesterday? Of course, you wrote about it up at, at MLB.com. But, I mean, as you're watching that game, what, you know, what was your real first impressions of it? saw on Thursdays what the Cardinals believe they can be at their maximum. I mean, they have guys all up and down the lineup putting good wood on the ball and really not a hole in that lineup if they're clicking. I mean, you could say that about a lot of lineups, but I think having a Dylan Carlson bat seventh is just like Mm -hmm. an incredible luxury to have. And if he's batting seventh, that means you hope that Tyler O'Neill is hitting home runs like he did yesterday and, and Yachty and Paul DeYoung are finding ways to get on base. Um, but what I do, you know, not to be too cynical or too down is, well, you know, I, I, I could very well see that those kinds of hot streaks go in the complete polar opposite way where you, you have Paul, Paul DeYoung going through something. You have Tyler O'Neill just, you know, finding some striking out at a clip that he's just, you know, having trouble make, finding the ball or tracking the ball or something of that nature. Um, you know, Nolan can get some strike, rack up some strikeouts. You know, I think Paul... Goldschmidt will be pretty dependable throughout the year, as he always is. But, um, yeah, I mean, what they saw yesterday was kind of all that excitement that I was referring to in spring training just coming out <laughs> at one. And I, I think that they really believe that this team is is capable of, you know, I think to expect 11 runs a night is a little extreme. But, you know, finding, <laughs> finding those days where you do get 11 runs and where you do have just, you know, an offensive output that won't be that extreme. Yeah, yeah, even though it was cold and you don't, you it usually doesn't heat up until the summer. But how much of the of a game like that can you account to just being opening day and things happen, or just the fact that they were in Cincinnati? Factors of the fact that the Reds just did not look like that good of a team. Yeah, that was crazy. Uh, yeah, I mean they have Eugenio Suarez at shortstop again, and he made some pretty unsightly plays that uh, you know some innings would get. Uh, would get uh you know ended a lot quicker and they had that one toot bland with tyler stevenson there i think the catcher was just absolutely either forgetting how many outs there were or thinking the ball was going to get down and getting doubled off and, and bases loaded one out situation and i mean that that's that, i guess that is the other end of the extreme of, of what we were talking about is that that was an 11 run game that felt very close mm-hmm. and the bullpen kind of was bending as much as it could without breaking and 
I don't think it's exactly a worry. It's one game. It's guys all getting their season debuts, but, and, and you know, there's, there's nothing but, you know, confidence in this bullpen, especially, um, but it, it's just the fact that you put up an 11 run game and, and it kind of gets close, you know, that's, that's also not great, but um, you know, I, I still think it's pretty, pretty good remarks from the first game. Yeah. And, you know, on the flip side of that, if, if a ball or two is caught by Cincinnati, then, you know, that game is a little bit different as well, but then, I hope that Jack Flaherty's approach is different. I mean, that's what he was talking about after the game, right? That he just, he had the lead and he just went after batters. It is, is that, is that what you, is that what really kind of you chalk that up to and you don't really worry about the fact that he gave up or got credited with six runs? That he kind of got caught up in that fifth inning. And I mean, he did what you'd want him to do in that situation. If, if you get a huge lead, there's no point to, to try and pitch around guys, you know, you, you, when you get that kind of lead, what you want to do is just give your defense a chance to make a play and, and kind of wrap up those innings quickly. So he, he did what he wanted to do as far as the game plan. It's just the, the execution wasn't quite where it was. And he didn't want to put too much blame on the weather. I assume that's just an easy excuse that he didn't want to give himself. But I mean, pitching in 30 degrees, snow coming down is not going to be easy for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it wasn't his, the outing he probably would have wanted to start this season off. But um, I mean, you know, they're, they're still perfectly confident in him. And um, even after a tough 2020, they, they have pretty full confidence that he's going to be an A. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it was, it was, it wasn't maybe the start you wanted to see for number one, but you know, I'm interested to see how he does when he gets back to St. Louis or, or I think he's going to pitch in Miami next. Um, so more controlled, closed, uh, warmer environment. That'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah, the Cardinals get to go back to Florida because they haven't been there enough. Um, so, going getting back to the offense for just a minute, do you think in your interactions with Schilt and things like that, is this going to be a fairly fixed lineup? Or do you think that, you know, he may give it a few days and then shuffle it around? I mean, obviously, if it's worth 11 runs a game, he's not going to touch it. But um, is he is he fairly committed to what he's got out there? I would be surprised if if a Tommy Edmond, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan Arenado is not leading leading off the lineup for the grand majority of the season. Uh, I think they've what looking for is to see you know someone like Goldie get in the two hole and get more at bats as the season goes on. I mean he he hit third most last season and you know that's still getting in every first inning but now that he has Nolan behind him like Schultz said that's exact that's like a punch in the face and just to start off a game um, what I wouldn't be surprised is to see you know Dylan Carlson come up to clean up and and maybe slot in for Paul DeYoung if Paul's having a rough go or if he's getting a, a day off um, you know I think the so I, like I said I say components of the order I think the top three is relatively entrenched um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know Paul uh, or Dylan comes up and bats some cleanup if if uh, Tyler O'Neill maybe gets a start there, here, there, clean up, or, you know, once uh, Harrison Bader comes back, if you see some, some shifting around there. Yeah, that's, that was going to be my next question is, uh, do you think it's one Carlson hot streak away from cleaning up, or do you think it would be a situation where it would have to go through a progression of DeYoung for a look, O'Neill for a look, then to a Carlson type deal? Yeah. on my and his inclinations, I would say it has to take a Paul DeYoung really cold streak to to kind of shift him down a little bit. Uh, he's, I mean, they're, they're very much a believer in the mental and the physical kind of intertwining. And, you know, not to say that Paul's a guy that wouldn't be able to handle 
getting bumped down and, and let that impact his play. But I think Schilt is very cognizant of the, the message it sends to a, a batter when sure. he kind of sees himself get moved down in the lineup. And I mean, you, you could argue easily that if Carlson's playing well, you got to get him up higher in the lineup where guys are more likely to be on base. But the counter argument, I guess, is if you have him down at the seven hole, that's just a deeper lineup that, um, you know, pitchers can't just kind of rest on their laurels when it, when it gets past Yachty and, and, and to, you know, Dylan Carlson and Justin Williams that you know, it's going to make their lineup a lot deeper. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Schultz pretty cognizant of what the places in his lineup mean, even though he tells us not to read into them whatsoever. <laughs> um, so we will, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that when Harrison comes, we might see some shuffling though. In, and maybe this is, maybe that's the answer here too, but you know, there are going to be days, maybe not many of them, but there are going to be days where like Tommy Edmund needs a day off. Who do you see being that, you know, backup leadoff guy, the guy that just, you know, may only get a couple of, of times, but you know, when Tommy Edmund does have to take a break, that's the guy they're put at the top of the lineup. May not love it, but I think that's going to be Matt Carpenter. Um, <laughs> We've, you know, we were not going to, like I said, Schultz says don't read too much into lineups in spring training. And obviously, you know, spring training is a bit of an anomaly. But when Tommy wasn't playing or when Carp was playing, he was primarily hitting leadoff. And um, I will see how that pans out in the regular season. Maybe he gets some some starts deeper in the order. And if he's struggling, maybe they don't want him hitting leadoff. And that's another place where Dylan Carlson could hit because he is a switch hitter and does get on base at a good percentage. Um, but I think if there's a if there's a game where, where Tommy's not playing and it is Matt Carpenter slotted in, I'd say that's probably where you're going to see leadoff going. Um, yeah, Carp and uh, and Dylan Carlson. If Tommy's not playing, I, I personally can't see another guy that pit leadoff. Which leads to the maybe awkward question then of of what do you expect from Matt Carpenter after seeing what he did in the spring? Of course, you've you know you know about what he's done the last couple of years. Um, was there a lot of hope for, and I'm not saying a, a MVP type, but even just a, you know, league average type of recovery for him? Yeah, they were not pleased with the results on, in the box score. I mean, they've said as such that you know, there, there was concern with going, I think it was two for 37 in the end, two for 34 or something. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they weren't, like you said, they weren't hoping for him to be the John Nagowski that hits his way into a starting role or, onto, or more onto the roster. Uh, but they were, I mean, obviously, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's absolutely no negatives that come with carb hitting 250 in spring or even just at, you know, a higher clip than he did. Um, I, I think that's kind of going to be the biggest, the biggest thing to follow with the team. Well, one of the biggest things to follow just because, you know, he, he's not a starter right now and, and uh, he's going to come off the bench to start the year. We'll see how much that pans out. If Justin Williams isn't playing to the level they want. They might just put Dylan in right, Tommy in center, and make Carp the everyday second baseman until Harrison comes back. Um, that might be kind of tough to, to accept or swallow, but I wouldn't be surprised if that's how the route they go down. Because um, you got to kind of strike this balance where you don't want to sacrifice production by putting Carp in there, but you also need some way to get him some type of rhythm going. And that can only really come with some kind of constant at bats. And hitting in the cage, hitting in batting practices, only so much. Um, yeah, I mean, we, at MLB.com, we decide on the great unknowns for every team, and every beat reporter picked their great unknown. And my great unknown for the season is Matt Carpenter because he's he's embraced this veteran role and this backup role and this bench role. But you know, I'm sure the club, well, the club does believe they're at their best when Carp is hitting his way into the lineup because that is if he does 
played at the, the level he's capable of in the past. And I mean, that's just an all-star bat to add to a lineup already filled with MVP candidates. So yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see how it plays out, but I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him getting some more at-bats if they want Tommy and Brad and Dylan all starting at once. Go on, Ellen. Yeah. Do you get the feeling that um, maybe being down there, it probably tells a different story that they're not as concerned as some of the uh, social media community is toward Carpenter and that they do feel like a bounce back is coming? Um, we're fine with him. I mean, uh, you know, John Mosellock is definitely aware of what goes on. Um, I mean, they, they received those, uh, you see those flowers from Quinn. So, yeah. um, he, you know, he's aware that there is a Twitter sphere out there. I, I believe he, uh, said in a, in a post dispatch story that, you know, there could have been a fan mail use if, uh, there wasn't a, a move like, <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're aware. I don't think they put any ounce of stock into, uh, fan reaction to carp. I think that they're, I mean, they, they always say they have internal numbers. They have internal data that they know that believes that they, that, that tells them that carp's more capable than what he's yeah. doing in the box for. Um, but you know, Carp has said himself to, to Derek that, um, you know, you don't win a medal with a bat or with a, with exit velocity. So, um, yeah, I, mean, I, think, I don't think they put one ounce of thought not to diminish everyone's opinions, but into the Twitter, Twitter world. Um, but, uh, you know, they're definitely aware of how the fan base is feeling, I'd say. Yeah, and I guess the the Carpenter situation is, and again, if he starts hitting, it's great. It's, we don't have to worry about it. But it is that idea of how many bats do you give him if he's not hitting to figure out if he can. Does the if the Cardinals get off to a hot start and put a little bit of room between them and the Brewers and the Cubs and the Reds, I, I hopefully the Pirates, although the Pirates are tied for first right now. Um, does that make it easier for them to run him out there and try to get him those at bat? Because they have that little bit of cushion. I mean, if if you got games to burn in the in the standings, I mean, you can try some things that you know when when you get into September in a normal season, that's kind of when you see teams getting younger guys at bats, younger guys innings out of the bullpen just to kind of get their MLB career started. Um, I would say they're not going to run. Um, they're not going to run him out there just for the sake of getting him out there. They're going to run him out there if they believe he can be a contributor. You know, they might get him some some start a start here or there just for pure. You know, we got He's got to. You got to stay in game shape somehow. Right. Um, but you know, I don't think Tommy's going to play center just for the sake of Carp getting in at second. I think this anything they do is going to be strategically done. Um. Let's talk a little bit about John Dugowski because he was the, the feel-good story, I guess, coming out of spring that, you know, hit, hit his way onto this roster and now is in the major leagues, you know, making opening day. Um, what was, you know, what was that like for him to be able to make this team? Um, you know, he's, he has one career appearance and it was – four at bats and that's been it so far in the big leagues. Um, you know, he's told us that he had to leave Schilt's office when he got the, when he was being told just to stop from crying. And, um, you know, I mean, that's kind of the thing. And we've talked to Dylan Carlson about it as well. Like a lot of these guys who made their debuts last season sort of made their debuts, but they didn't have any fans in the stands to do it. So like Dylan even said like, yeah, I mean, last night kind of felt like his first major league game because 
he got to do it with people watching. Um, so I, I, for John specifically, I mean, it's just, it's just, a, you know, a, a pretty incredible story. Um, and he's just, he's just, I mean, he, he, he's just never lost confidence in himself. He's a 28 year old rookie and it's just really, it's really like, I don't know, heartwarming, I guess, to see a guy who's been in indie ball, got released by the athletics, a 34th round draft pick, and to finally get some success. We'll see, you know, even less than Carp. I think he's going to get in when it's, or even more than Carp, but he's going to get in when it, when it means, when it makes sense. And when they think he can contribute, he, he's shown that he can't contribute to a big league ball club. And before we leave the offense, you're feeling on the catcher situation. Um, you know, obviously Yachty is Yachty and, um, the club always seems to feel like Yachty needs some rest and Yachty needs to play a little bit less and we need to get whoever the, the backup guy is in there more often. And then it never actually happens with Andrew Kisner now sitting on the bench and a guy that's, you know, young and a prospect. Is there a feeling that maybe this is the year that that shifts at least a little bit? Um, I think Yachty is going to want to play when he feels good. Um, I haven't been around, obviously, to, to really know the, the you know, I know with Matt Wieters, it was one thing. With other guys, it's been interesting, um, you know, balance. Um, but I, I do think that, you know, he is, he has said he's willing to kind of split dues and do what Schilt wants. And, and um, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see. I think I think he and Kiz have a, have a good relationship, but I do think that the club sees Yachty as their starter. And unless, you know, he gets hurt or, or really needs some time to sit down and, and refresh, I think it's going to be his starting role to lose. And, you know, it's a kind of a tough break for kids just because he's pretty done a lot of stuff to show that he's ready, but he's just, he just might have to wait a little bit longer to really get that full-time role uh, for no fault of his own. It's just Yachty's kind of an animal. Yeah, it's awesome. Hey, it kind of along those same lines, do you see a situation where, Edmund plays a little more shortstop this year to buy DeYoung some time and that allow Carpenter more at bats at second base. Yeah, I think, I think Paul is kind of another guy that's going to be interesting to follow just for the sense that, you know, he, he, he had COVID last year. It really impacted him and, and the club is pretty aware of, of maybe giving him some reps or some rest. I mean, he's, he's played a lot of games since he entered the league. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might, it might not be the worst to, to spell him some days. Um, I think that, you know, Tommy playing center is probably more likely, especially until Harrison gets back, than um, Tommy playing short. I think they do think Paul really is their, their number one and, and their shortstop. I mean, obviously, that's how they've treated him the past few years. Um, but, yeah, I think he could get some reps there, and, and Mundo Sosa as well, probably less so. But, um, yeah, I think they're pretty aware of the rest that Paul might need and, and, you know, might give him a little bit more blows than they give some other guys. Well, let's, you know, I think we've probably covered most of the uh, offensive stuff because the ones that we haven't talked about are, are pretty good pretty good lockdowns, I think, when, when you're talking about Goldschmidt and Arnado. Um, pitching side of things, you know, like you said earlier, yesterday the bullpen bent but didn't break. Um, that said, you know, when it's bending, it gives a lot of people heart attacks. What, you know, was that, again, Weather didn't help, but is that something that you think we're going to see a little bit more of this year as the the team tries to figure out who can really be relied on? Some wonder about that. I mean, I wouldn't say this bullpen is a question mark yet. I, I think what will be interesting to see is how this closer pans out. Alex Reyes 
seems to kind of have that responsibility right now. Jordan Jordan Hicks is going to get kind of ease back into everything. Um, but um, you know, they have Andrew Miller and Gio Gallegos. Um, but you're right. There, there were some less than ideal performances in spring. Gio kind of had a, an up and down spring. And, you know, a guy like Cody Whitley had a great spring, but he didn't make the opening day roster. And that's where they kind of do feel the confidence that they have someone like him. They have someone like Oviedo, even like Junior Fernandez, who wasn't, who was relied on a lot last year, but was a very early surprising cut to camp. I mean, they believe that they so, still do have a pretty decent amount of depth and, you know, guys who might not be performing to the level they need to. They, they think they have some guys in the chamber who can step up. Um, but yeah, I think, I think the bullpen is going to, I don't think it's going to be completely heart, heartacheless this season. Um, but you know, I think guys like Tyler Webb could be primed for big years. Um, Hennessy Cabrera. Uh, you know, I, I do still think Cody Whitley is going to have a pretty important role in this team. And, and Jake Woodford is one guy I'm really excited to kind of see how his, his year pans out. Cause he was maybe a rotation candidate, but now he looks like a swing man. So if Ponce or, or John Gant kind of struggle, he might be the guy they call upon to fill a rotation. Were you a little surprised that they didn't go to Jordan Hicks yesterday with a five run lead and not necessarily that traditional pressure situation to, to get him in and instead went to Alex Reyes who, and I want to talk about him as well as how they're going to get to that innings. But um, it seemed to me like, even though, as we talked about that game got a little bit close, five runs in the ninth might've been a good time to get Jordan Hicks in. Yeah, I'm not too surprised. I think, um, you know, it's open. Opening day, there's already a lot of jitters, and I, I think they want to get Jordan into a lower inning. You know, I don't want, I'm not going to say a blowout. I don't think they're going to put him into like a 10 0, maybe, or maybe a 10 0. I don't think they're going to put him into like a, a 10 run deficit just to get him a game. Um, but I think for now, they, even though it wasn't a safe situation, they still, you know, first game of the season, you want to make sure that's locked down pretty tight. Um, so I wasn't surprised they went with uh, Alex over Jordan, but, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if this weekend we see Jordan get a lower leverage situation just to kind of get his himself back into it. I mean, he's, he looked, he looked pretty great in, in spring. He had a few hiccups those first two times out. Uh, obviously that 22 pitch at bat with, uh, Yorme was, was, uh, probably not the first way he wanted to get in, but, um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, I think we'll see Alex Reyes get in the back of these games and Jordan will probably get eased into it. And I mean, if you're deciding between him and, and Alex Reyes for the closing spot, I mean, that's a pretty solid position to be in. Yeah, absolutely. Do you think that the uh, weather conditions played a role in him not pitching as well? My, I just think they didn't want to get him all the jitters and have yeah. his first game back the opening day. I'd say – whether, yeah, it doesn't hurt, um, but for the most part, they're not really treating him like a injured reliever uh, or, or a guy with an injury. They're gonna they're gonna limit him. They're not gonna pitch him back to back too much. Uh, they're gonna be maybe a little bit more cognizant of his workload than they are for, you know, Gio Gallegos or someone of that nature. Yes. But yeah, for the for the most part, I think it was just it was just the first game back. They didn't really mm. want to set him up for failure, so to say. If the Cardinals do use him and Alex Reyes in this kind of role like we saw yesterday, um, at least for a while, is it going to be difficult? You know, they've got the goal of 100 innings for him so he can transition into the starting rotation next year. Are they going to be able to do that if they're using him in this way? Or is this going to be like, you know, the first month or so they'll use him here, then they'll kind of stretch him out into middle relief, and then maybe by the end of the year even start him? Um, yeah, I'll be see some, some starts from Alex this year. Um you know, we'll see how he kind of 
breeds into this closer role. Um, you know, if he really runs with it, he said he likes it. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they kind of just let him run with it and run wild. Um, I think the kind of the goal and kind of what they envisioned was for him to be, you know, if Adam Wainwright gets through six innings of a one-run game, they can kind of turn to Alex Wayne, Alex Reyes to get two innings and then hand it over to Jordan or hand it over to, to Gio or for Alex to get the last three innings. So I think they really do see a creative role for him. Um, you know, we haven't seen him pitch more than two innings all spring and in, and obviously in game one. Um, so, you know, we'll see how built up he really is. And, um, you know, they're obviously going to be cognizant of his innings, like they've mentioned. Um, so, so yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe in the second half, it's possible to see him get some starts in a spot start here or there. But what you wonder is, it's certainly a lot easier for a guy to build down than it is for him to build up. So mm-hmm. you wonder if the, the strategy to start him in the rotation and then give him, put him into the rotation, into the bullpen might have been the better way to go. But they obviously have a very, you know, pretty firm belief in what they're doing. Yeah, they tend to have, they seem to know what they, they're pretty smart about these things. So we'll give, we'll give them that, I guess. Um, obviously, the Cardinals go into the, the season kind of hurting in the starting rotation with uh, KK and Miles Michaelis out. Um, Timetables for them, and, and what do you think we'll see out of them this season? The hope is to get them in by um, by the late April, or at least for, 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 for KK, uh, mid-April is kind of what they're targeting. He's going to throw another live session uh, down in Jupiter, uh, soon and after that you know they're in Miami the hope is maybe he can join the team after that but I'd say they're probably going to play it by year with him uh, Miles is a little bit more um, a little bit more TBD he's going to face he's going to head to Saga and play in the um, uh, in Saga and play in, in at the alternate training site face some live hitters there some minor leaguers there and he's probably looking at a late April early May return um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what, what they kind of expect from them, especially when they come back, what's going to happen to Ponce and John Gann. I think the hope is they can be uh, swing men and, and step into for a spot start when they need, maybe piggyback here or there, although, you know, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, they have said they're going to stay creative in their pitching, but, um, you know, the cards have been a pretty, you know, they don't like to platoon, stuff like that. So they've been pretty hesitant in some of those, um, some of those areas. So. Uh, I think Miles and, and KK, they hope to have great showings from them this year, and obviously, and to have pretty impactful. I mean, that's two-fifths of your rotation there, and that was supposed to be, you know, starters four and five, starters three and four. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the hope is that they can get back as soon as possible and that they can kind of hit the ground running. And they're two older guys, two experienced guys, so the, ho- the hope is they won't really miss, miss much in the way of just getting back to form. I mean, I know that they're very optimistic, but is there still a little bit of undercurrent of concern on especially my miles michaelis because of the issues that he's had i mean there's still that idea that you know it could be a tommy john situation at some point in time uh just with the injuries that he's had could be out again now again nothing finalized and hopefully that's not the case but is there still a little bit of you know a little bit of hesitation with the club with him yeah that's kind of what the last uh uh, what that surgery he just underwent was uh, last year to fix a flexor tendon is kind of hoping to stave off any sort of Tommy John. And um, I mean, that's, that's just, that's just kind of what that surgery tends to be is to kind of give, give guys who are a little bit older, the ability not to have to undergo uh, Tommy John. Cause you know, once you, once you, if you're younger, your body responds a lot different than when you get up to the thirties. Yeah. Um, so, 
and but the, his current ailment is the they haven't said it but there's a lot of theories out there and just kind of common beliefs that a lot of guys who do come back from Tommy John um, can kind of try to overcompensate or switch their arm path a little bit. And that kind of just that, that uncomfort, I guess, of what you're trying to get back to is what can kind of lead to some, uh, uh, some difficulties. So, yeah, I mean, the hope is that when he gets back, it's fully healthy and there's no really concerns with the elbow anymore, which is what the good news is for them. Uh, and he said that he just probably put too much a little bit on the full throttle his first time facing hitter. So, um, you know, just being a little bit more cognizant of that, uh, that precaution, I suppose. Um, hopefully that's, hopefully that's okay. You know, anytime you've got a pitcher out for too long, you, you get, uh, you get nervous and, and hopefully that's the, the case because like I say, this rotation needs those guys. And with the guy that seems to be the fulcrum maybe of this rotation, cause you've got Flaherty and, and Wainwright on one side, you've got Gantz and Ponce de Leon right now on the other, but the, Carlos Martinez, um, you know, after what you saw in spring and what you know about Carlos, um, maybe the interactions you've had with him, where is he, you know, physically, mentally, everything going into this season? Well, seems to be a lot more, um, I don't want to say focused, but just a lot more comfortable this season. Um, he, uh, this, this this winter, which he said helped him kind of get into that game uh, readiness a little bit earlier than maybe he has been able to in years past. Uh, he's had some he's had some great showings this spring. He had a few just like really incredible um, just spurts that seemed like he was unhittable, and then he kind of loses it when he when he's when he's not when he doesn't have it. He's, he can be a hard watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were hopeful that he would. I mean, I, we, they kind of entered the spring not. Of the off of the off season, kind of maybe expecting him back into the bullpen, but that kind of pretty much secured him back into the rotation. And I think the hope is the hope was that he could be that fifth starter, maybe, and now he's the third starter. So um, it's definitely definitely a bit of an elevated role. But I guess you kind of gotta take stock in the uh, in the in the track record and the fact that he's an older guy who you know shouldn't you'd hope not be too phased by getting back into this kind of winding path into into the season. So you still don't know, I guess, when travel restrictions will be lifted on you. You said you're going to cover home games until you can. Is there a is there a trip that you're looking forward to finally being able to make yeah, around either around the central or around the national league? The central is the best the best division for travel. I mean, you just got so many uh, so many close cities all around. Um, I'm I mean I'm just excited to get to like you know see see a Cards Cubs game at Wrigley. That's not something I haven't even been to Wrigley, so that that's something I'll be really excited to get to do for the first time. Um, I've been you know to Chicago and outside Wrigley, but I haven't been able to watch a game there. Um, Wrigley is definitely you know probably number one, um, but that's also mainly just because of the rivalry and because of the history between those two teams. I feel like every game between them is just another on another level to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Around, I've been kind of up and down some of the East Coast ballparks. I've been to a few West Coast ballparks, but you know, I haven't gotten able to go to like new, newly named American Family Field, which I heard can be, which is nice. Or, um, yeah, I don't know off the top of my head if they get to Kaufman this year, but that's probably one of the more underrated ballparks. It sounds like so. Um, yeah, I, honestly, I haven't. I've covered baseball for a few years now, but I haven't had like the traveling baseball lifestyle yet. So I'm. I'm very interested to see how that kind of pans out. 
Alan, you got anything else for Zach before we wrap it up tonight? How did uh, we're? How did your expectations match up to how the uh, the pitching worked in Jupiter, <laughs> or, or how they worked out in Jupiter? Um, how they did their workouts? No. How did their, uh, How did your expectations? What did you go in thinking may happen with the uh, Cardinal staff as to what actually did happen? Well. Get injured, I guess. Um, <laughs> I would say I was, uh, I mean, very surprised, obviously, with Wainwright's spring. Um, I guess another guy we didn't really mention so much was Johan Oviedo, uh, who only got into one Grapefruit League game, got most of his work on the backfields. He was kind of a fringe rotation candidate. I would have been surprised if he cracked the rotation. Uh, you know, she'll into what we do, but, you know, you don't put him into many Grapefruit League games and he doesn't really have a firm chance to really prove himself. So, I think he's still a guy that they think can be a, a, a contributor this year, um, probably as a long man or as a rotation guy in the spot start um, role. Um, so he's one guy who who kind of was, was had an opportunity for him, and I it, it, we we weren't really privy to why he was kept off the backfield as uh, on the backfield as much, but you know the, 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 they said that he's perfectly fine, and, and they just preferred to give him the more controlled settings. Um, and on the other hand, just Adam Wainwright, like I said, just his spring is was pretty fantastic, and uh, I'm re- I, you know, I'm I'm really excited just to get to St. Louis and watch baseball at Bush. But I'm really really excited to see how you know the 30 percent of the stadium reacts when he takes the mound for that home opener. I think that's going to be really exciting. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, him and Yachty both, and the, the idea that I mean. It's hard to say because we've said this for uh, like two or three years now, but the idea that it could be their last season, both of them their last season or their last season together um, adds a little bit of import to this team. Does this, you know, the, the front office feel like from what you can tell, if, if there's something going wrong, they're going to go out and fix it um, at the, at the trade down line or even before. Yeah. I, I don't think move for Nolan and not just be all in on making any other midseason nece- necessary upgrade. You know, do I think they're going to add Max Scherzer as everyone wants to, to bring the Mizzou guy home in his final season? I mean, you know, I, I'd be lying if I said, I think that's going to happen. Um, it could very well, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to put my mortgage on it. Um, you know, I, I could see, I could definitely see if, you know, we'll see how Harrison Bader does when he returns. If they feel like they need a, an upgrade in the outfield, if I wouldn't be surprised if we see an upgrade for starting pitching. There was a lot of hope that Jake Odorizzi would get signed this offseason. Um, and I think if it was a shorter deal or a cheaper deal, it would have made more sense and it might not have, it might have panned out. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're fully committed. I mean, they have Nolan for seven years and um, they want to make sure that they're surrounding him with as much talent as to maximize those years. So um I feel like they have a lot of depth and they have a lot of guys who will come back. I don't want to say they're like getting Harrison Bader back will be like a trade acquisition because I mean, that'd be a little hyperbolic to say, but um, they do, they do feel like, you know, they'll, they'll, once they get fully healthy, they'll, 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 you know, you know, even before then they've had one, only one game so far, but it doesn't seem like there's much that really needs to be uh, addressed quite yet. No, we could, uh, you know, it is, it's difficult to draw any conclusions from one game, but uh, if you're going to, um, the fact that they won and put up 11 runs is, um, is a, it feels like a good sign for this, for this season. Um, is that, is that fair to say? I mean, again, just one game. Yeah, I, I, 
I mean, obviously it is one game, but at, on the other hand, there's a lot of there'd probably be a lot more clamoring if that was, you know, Jack Flaherty gets lit up for six runs in his first inning. Well, mm-hmm. I don't even want to know what they'd be saying on Facebook. Um, mm. And yeah, Brown Helsley doesn't get that gift of a double play if Henesis Cabrera isn't able to get out of that, um, get out of those two walks he gave up. There's a lot. There's a lot of possibilities for that game to have kind of gone haywire. But at the end of the day, you tip your cap to the fact that it didn't and you just bank on the fact that um you know you obviously take take the good with the bad so you, you will address some of those concerns but you know if you win a game it's hard and i mean people do say the more you win it kind of glosses over some shortcomings and whatnot but at the same time if you're winning games it's hard to be com- too too uh too concerned about much yeah that's that is the the, the thing you got you just win doesn't matter how pretty it is or or what the problems are um, Zach, it's been great to talk to you tonight. Um, look forward to you getting kind of settled into St. Louis and I know you are too. Um, and just going to be interested to watch your coverage this year. And appreciate the warm welcome I've gotten from everyone in St. Louis, uh, and in the, in, in the same, and on cards Twitter. So it's been a, it's been a great month and a half so far. Well, just just wait till the first losing streak, and then you see if he says. Matt Carpenter, I can kind of rely on something coming my way. So yeah, I, 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 know, I know what it's like to a certain extent so far. Yeah, uh, you got you've got an idea. Yeah, that's just true. So, all right. Well, Alan and I'll be with you again next week. We've got Rob Range joining us then. Um, we'll talk about the first full week if they'll have a little bit more, uh, maybe a few more data points to talk about. Uh, more than just one game. So until then, for Alan and for Zach, I'm Daniel. Good night. Good night. He's got him. Struck him out. Look at the scene on the field. McCarver, the first one. Now his infielders all over him. A new world's record of 17 strikeouts in one game. <laughs>